Hello, dear ones, and welcome to the Amazing Way podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Beth Reese, mother of three awesome kids and founder of Yoginos Yoga for Youth. Listen and share this podcast. Hope you enjoy. When I was six years old and started hurling chairs at my mom, Dr. Beth Reese, in the dining court of the Salt Lake City Airport, she knew something was up. Hi, this is Jordan, and I'm one of her three awesome kids. Soon after that day at the airport, my mom learned that her daughter, me, had sensory processing disorder considered by many to be a spectrum disorder. My mom spent years searching and researching for tools to help me pause, center myself, create who I really am, and then press play. Thus, she developed Flower Power Breath, which I still use to this day in college, and she also found a passion for helping others find their way through the means of yoga. The Amazing Way podcast synthesizes over two decades of my mom's work, bringing mindfulness, mental hygiene, and yoga on and off the mat to teachers, parents, and families in homes, classrooms, schools, and beyond. This podcast offers practical ideas and tools for integrating research-based self-regulation tools into daily life. Take it from me, you want to check this podcast out. Yeah, baby. Hi, welcome to the Oh Amazing Way. I'm Beth Reese, and I am so excited today to welcome my dear friend and colleague, Alan Steelman. Alan, how are you today? I'm doing great, and I'm equally excited to be your guest. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. So uh, normally we get started. We hop in with a little like dropping into mindfulness together um, and we're going to do that and then I'm going to share with you a little bit about Alan's background and why he's just the amazing guest to have on this podcast and then we'll hear a little bit about his story. We'll take a break and then he has some just so much going on. He's so out there. You're so out there, Alan, making a difference. I want to hear about it, share it with our listeners. And so for those of you listening, let me just say part of the conversation today is really both between Alan and I, like two people on one career path and like screech, the world really has called us, right? To do something a little different than we thought. So for those of you listening, really pull this to you and be looking in your own life for What are those ways and places the universe is calling to you to maybe step out of your comfort zone and make a difference? Yeah? All right. So let's go ahead and take a moment and even just take your hands if you're not driving and just shake them a little bit. We're just going to shake off maybe the, I like to call it the spilt milk of the day. Anything that's like that we're in a trance about that's looping that has us not in the present moment. Or maybe it's like a rabbit hole about our shopping list, our to-do lists. And then let's gently rest our hands in our lap. And if it's available to you, softly close your eyes. And if you'll let your mouth open just a bit to let your jaw relax. No clenching jaws right now. Save that for later, just kidding. And then really get present to who you're being in this moment. And if you're sitting, like really know that you're sitting. And on your next breath in, 
Really notice that you're breathing. And don't do anything to change your breath. Just notice your body breathing. If you take your mind's eye to your eyes, let your eyes relax and their sockets. Take your mind's eye to your inner ears, let your inner ears relax. Take your mind's eye to your shoulders and on your next breath out, let your shoulders soften away from the ears. I know sometimes our shoulders have that codependent relationship with our ears, but let's let them separate for just a little bit. And taking your mind's eye to your mouth, can you turn the corners of your mouth up just a bit, creating a gentle smile? And as you exhale out, Flutter your eyes open and, ah, boy, it's amazing. And just, you know, 30, 60 seconds, how whatever was happening a minute ago is like poof, or sort of poof, gone. And we can be right exactly. here at the present. Well, I have to confess, I always have a bit of performance anxiety starting a podcast, and it's all gone, Beth. Well, there you go. Yeah, and like... <laughs> You know, performance, and I, and I love you're just jumping right in and being so authentic right away. I hear you. And those, you know, so much during the day or whatever we encounter, if we are really, when we, when we choose to be connected to our body, we can notice that often through the day, we have these body sensations that sometimes are like nervousness or excitement or sadness. And to just go, oh, that's what I'm feeling right now and just invite it to be there. And then right. really just be forward. And, and, and your breath, our breath is our yellow brick road. Ah. In, the, in, my, in my first book, as you know, I used the Wizard of Oz story to illustrate that uh, it was really the story of our lives. And if you remember, the yellow brick road was the path to the Emerald City where troubles drop like lemon drops and the sky's always blue and the birds always singing. And uh, so our own Emerald City is within us and it can always be accessed through what we just did. That's our, that's our yellow brick road to our very own Emerald city. I love that. I love it. And yes, such a great book. And I can't, we're going to dive more into that in the second half. And um, so really this first half, we're going to really hear a little bit about your personal, your personal story of how you came to find mindfulness yoga on and off the mat. And for the listeners, um, what I often tell a story about the first time or a time when I've met my guest and, um, and Alan and I had the pleasure of meeting while I was working for the Crow Museum of Asian Art. But really the story, one I, what I want to share with you is the 17 minutes before we started recording this podcast. So <laughs> Alan and I are both hosts of our own podcasts. And as we came on into the space, we were having audio and speaker challenges and you know, that doesn't normally happen. And I can imagine, I don't know about you, Alan, but I can imagine like years ago, that would have, I, I could have just gotten super frustrated and been like, you know what, we just can't do it today. Right. Well, Murphy, Murphy, Murphy always shows up at one place or another. And uh, to underline your point, 
uh, I'm a, uh, have been and continue to be, hopefully mostly in private moments, a frequent user of the F-bomb when Murphy shows up. Me too! High five! <laughs> in fact, I thought about writing a third book called Yoga, Meditation, and the F-bomb, Your Path to a Calm Mind. But anyway, we not, neither of us, for our listeners and viewers, dropped any F-bombs during that whole technology challenge we just went through and uh, getting up and rolling on this. So we, we were both pretty proud of ourselves, I think. Right. And just, I mean, we even sort of joked, like, it's a good thing we know how to breathe. But there was never, there was never a moment when... Even I, when I kept checking in with my body, like, am I starting to feel frustration? I'm not. And I think part of that is because I intuitively knew that you were steady as well. And so really to your, um, to your practice of being calm and steady, I, I thank you. So friends, let me tell you a little about this completely amazing person and friend of mine, Alan Steelman. He is a former member of the US Congress. Uh, from here in Texas, former vice chairman of Alexander Proudfoot Company, and former chairman of the Dallas Council on World Affairs. He is a graduate of Baylor University, holds an MLA degree from Southern Methodist University, and was a resident fellow at the Institute of Politics at Harvard University. He's also a certified yoga instructor, right? Like if, it, if that isn't all enough, like running companies and being a U.S. congressman, he's like, let me, let me just dive in here and become a yoga instructor, right? You know, we, we all aspire to be historical figures. And of course, this doesn't rise to the level of Gandhi or Roosevelt or anything like that. But I am the only former member of Congress who has written a book on yoga and who is a certified yoga instructor. So that. there. That's so badass. Sorry, I had to say that. Uh, Alan's career in politics was marked with distinction. He was the youngest member of the U.S. Congress when he was elected. Time magazine named him one of the top 200 young emerging leaders in America. And in endorsing his reelection, the Dallas Times Herald called him one of the best ever sent to Congress from Texas. His global business career, which spanned 35 years, included an eight-year stint in Singapore as president of the Asia-Pacific Reason for Alexander Proudfoot. He was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's married to his wife, Susan, and is the father of five children and the stepfather of two. Shoof! Slacker. Just kidding. That, that is so... And, and let me just say, like, thank you for your service in Congress. I can only imagine, you know, the mindful opportunities there to practice. <laughs> yes. And Alan, I know in your book um, and in your life, you have experienced anxiety and stress, um, perhaps danced in the realm of addiction. And um, that's part of what you talk about in being in the fast lane. And I wonder if you would take us and share with us, like what life was like for you before, before your mindfulness practice, before your right. yoga on and off the mat practice, what was life like? And then right. what happened? What was the calling to dive into this world? And what's life been like since then? So I'd love to hear that story. Well, did we, we all remember Paul Harvey and his famous, and now the rest of the story. So the, right. the, the backstory to all you just went through is that, um, so I, I grew up in Arkansas, as you said. My dad was a member of the Steelworkers Union. And the, uh, the company, we grew up, we lived in this little town in Arkansas, Arkadelphia, midway between Little Rock and Texarkana. 
And uh, the company went on strike and was on strike for four years from my eighth grade through my 12th grade. So we were living hand to mouth trying to, living on unemployment insurance. And my mother uh, got a job at the local garment factory. Now, that was all difficult from an economic standpoint, but uh, to further really complicate matters, particularly for my parents, my brother uh, was, was diagnosed as being bipolar. And actually, that was uh, an, undiagnosed, an undiagnosed condition at the time. So uh, today, it would be, would be called manic depression or be referred to as bipolar. But uh, in a little town in Arkansas, when my youngest brother, uh, who later committed suicide, by the way, uh, just couldn't go to school, couldn't come out of his room. And my parents, already dealing with the economic hardships that I just uh, mentioned, also had this to deal with. And you probably heard the adage, and it certainly proved, has proven true in my case, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Mm. Uh, so as a parent, you can just imagine dealing with the economic uh, hardship along with my, my, my brother's condition. And as it turned out, uh, I learned later that uh, there was really a uh, bipolar gene on the male side of my family. Three of my father's five brothers had it, and my brother had it. And by sure luck of the genetic genetic lottery i didn't get it but uh it was you know by by, by pure luck so uh to segue now to uh life after that so you've probably heard the old adage none of us ever get out of high school you know, as long as we live none of us ever get out of high school because whatever we went through good bad or ugly uh basically gets hardwired and so i can remember the nightmares that I had in high school, uh, a lot of it due to what I just mentioned regarding the home life. And my parents, by the way, in spite of all this, were, gave me unconditional love. Even when I didn't deserve it and needed to be called for things, they didn't. They never did it. So that was that was the great blessing. But I can remember the, the two nightmares. One was uh, being underwater and gasping for air and trying to swim my way to the top, and I just never could get there and waking up in a cold sweat. And then the other one was, living in this little town, I worked at the movie theater downtown, and the other nightmare was that somehow I ended up on Main Street, no clothes on whatsoever, and trying to find my way back through these alleys and behind the trees to get home. And so I, I carried those two nightmares well into college and even, even later into that. And even still today, I still have a scarcity mentality uh, uh, coming out of that uh, out of that high school experience. So anyway, um, to, to kind of move move forward a little bit further, so I go to Baylor on an athletic scholarship and uh, decide I want to live in Texas. And I was so driven, Beth, I think as I look back on uh, the things that I've done in my life, always driven to prove myself, uh, a lot of it having to do with that high school experience. And so, you know, why would any why would anyone need to prove that they're okay by doing something as dramatic as running for the U.S. Congress at the age of 29? But that's what I did because you know the, you remember the book "I'm Okay, You're Okay." Yes. <laughs> which which I just loved and was so so inspired by. Well, I was not okay. You know, I was good at faking it till I made it, but I was not okay again. Back to the high school experience and the experience at home. So what better way to prove that you're okay than to run for Congress against a five-term incumbent and go mano a mano 
and have more people vote for you than vote for him, which they did. So obviously I was, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life. But when I look at the psychological motivation behind that, a lot of it had to do with having to prove myself that I was, you know, and to others that I was okay. And, you know, Alan, I, I just want to pause real quick here and really, and again, invite our listeners to really pull that, that piece of your story towards them. And, and, and certainly for me, in thinking about what motivates us to be who we be and do what we do. And of course, remembering we're human beings, not human doings. Um, and, a lot of, and a lot of us get in that cycle of do, 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 and that sort of thing. But thinking about, um, and the motivation for who we become, like it doesn't have to be something, um, or often it's a double-edged sword is what I'm getting at. So that sometimes we're doing things or being in a way to overcome a, a fear or um, that sense of like, am I enough, right? And, and to see it doesn't make it wrong. But I love how you're in this space in your life, Alan, where now you can sort of step back. And I really invite everybody to take a step back and look at your life and the choices that we make and, um, and how, how a past decision can impact who we are today. Right? Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. I just really, that's so, that's so tender and telling, Alan. I just really wanted to underline that. So, so to one of your other questions, uh, as a part of the uh, intro into this segment, you, you mentioned or uh, you asked about the stress and anxiety. So, so the way I, uh, so I went to college on an athletic scholarship. And so I've always been, was then and remain physically fit. I did not appreciate the difference between physically fit and having, you know, the correct blood pressure readings and all that and being fit of mind and spirit. And so I would cope with all the stress and the anxiety of am I enough to your last point by going out and running five miles and, uh, uh, you know, doing things to cope with the stress. And by the way, you, as all of us who run and exercise, know you do get a good endorphin uh, zap with a five-mile run. Uh, and when we get into yoga, there are several more brain chemicals you get with that, which we'll cover later. I, I would run to deal with the stress and anxiety. Now, you mentioned addiction. You know, I never, uh, I, I grew up in this very strict Baptist family. There was never alcohol in the house. There was never tobacco and so forth. So I never developed any any taste for that. But eating, so my, my nickname in college was GOAT, G-O-A-T. Now, what are GOATs famous for? Eating everything inside, right? So uh, great. <laughs> I, like, I like to tell people it really meant greatest of all time, but not really. It meant goat because I ate so much. But because my metabolism was still that of a 22-year-old in college and I was running, and as you know, most of us have experienced, you hit 45, at least as a man, and your metabolism just dies dead in this tracks. So even though I was still, even at age 45, well into my business career then and flying all over the world and living on airplane food and dealing with jet lag and all the stressful things that go with that, I would go run, but my metabolism had, had died. And so, you know, I gained a lot of weight. And um, so I, I, I discovered, unfortunately, much later in life than I wish I had, that there is true magic in mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness being an umbrella term for both yoga and meditation. Uh, the 
the stressful mind or the agitated mind, as Patanjali referred to it, is really what drives any addictions any of us have. And when my mind started to really calm down due to my practice of yoga and meditation, miraculously, my appetite for the copious amounts of food also disappeared. So, you know, and it wasn't that I was on some strict regimen or diet to eat less. It just, the, the, the hunger just disappeared. So, you know, I was able to eat much more moderately uh, just by the fact that the agitated mind that we're all afflicted with uh, was much less agitated due, due to my practice of yoga and meditation. Yeah, that's so great. And that the thing about the agitated mind is, like, I won't, can only speak for myself. I feel like I was conditioned to, um, and this may ring true for a lot of people, that the agitated mind, that mind or that's in a loop and like thinking it's like, we want to push it away, right? Like I shouldn't be thinking that I should be doing this instead of saying, Oh, wow, I'm agitated right now. Okay. And getting that's all it is. And as soon as we invite that agitation, right. To come sit for tea, as I like to say, as others like to say, it's, it kind of, it doesn't have that hold over us. It stops running the show. And then we can really, as you're pointing to, to see, so what am I using as a distraction so that I don't have to deal with my agitated mind? And is it, you know, picking up my phone every five minutes and checking to see if I have one more like on Instagram or Facebook? Um, Is it eating? Is it drinking? Um, Is it like, what is it that I'm using in my life to to like push that away? And I love how you really were able to see for you, um, how it was a combination of, of food and exercise. But then at some point, you also started really pulling exercise and yoga towards you. And, and what I heard you say is that you saw how it helped to calm your mind and calm that agitation down. Do you want to speak a little bit about that, how your life shifted <clears throat> with the mindfulness? Well, my, actually, my, my youngest son... Uh, is the one who got me into yoga and meditation about uh, 10 years ago. As I said, I wish I had discovered it much earlier. And he kept telling me that, and he's also very physically fit, he kept saying there's really something very different about the way that that, that I feel. It's not just my physical side, but it's a much calmer mind and the anxiety is much less. So I said, okay, I'll try it. Now, frankly, I tried it mostly because I wanted to be able to touch my toes again. After all those years of running and tight hamstrings and tight uh, calves and all, just being able to touch my toes again would have been uh, a reward for doing that. But about six or seven months, I started to notice, man, this really is, there's something magic happening here. And then when I started to research the impact on this, uh, I I learned about, you know, we're really born with what I refer to as a a Walgreens or a CVS in our heads. You know, we're born... We're born with uh, four magical feel-good chemicals, oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, and endorphins. And a practice of yoga and meditation really stimulates the vagus nerve, spelled V-A-G-U-S, but pronounced like Las Vegas, which then distributes that Walgreens in our brain all the way from head to toe. And that's the calming, that's the magic in yoga and meditation. And you know, Beth, you you referred to this a moment ago to... uh, all of us uh, finding various ways to cope. In my case, it was eating, and others, it's pills and alcohol and uh, digital addiction. And, you know, these are really 
in, in my first book, I refer to these as the false wizards. You know, the, the, as we all remember, Dorothy and the Tin Man and the, and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion thought there was a magical wizard over the rainbow there that was going to get Dorothy and Toto back to Kansas, uh, give the Tin Man a new heart to be in love again, uh, give the Scarecrow a brain to make wise choices, and give the Cowardly Lion courage. And he turned out to be a wrinkled up little old man who couldn't do anything for them. And the lesson was, we have within us already everything we need. And so pills and alcohol and eating and all these things are really false wizards that we all are tempted to use in order to cope with the stress and anxiety of life in the digital age, the age in which we live. I love that. That is such a great and easy analogy, right? Because it's such a great story. Um, and to the point also, and I think of uh, that, the Wizard of Oz, and also um, just that concept also that we're often driven to seek outside of ourselves, that wizardness, right? And, and the answer. Yeah. And lo and behold, it's, it's with us all the time, right? right. And to really just start to, to be able to, to be with what's so and what's there, how we find that the magic we're looking for has been right with us all the time, all exactly. the time. Beautiful. Well, Alan, I, yeah, go ahead. And it's accessible in exactly the way you started this whole program off through our, our breathing. It is, it really is. And uh, this is great. Well, Alan, let's take a quick break. And then we come back. I want to hear more about the book, this book, more about your next book, and then what you're up to with your, your nonprofit, your organization, in terms of really like taking this work, answering your calling, and really being out there in the world creating transformation. Very good. And we'll come back and hear about that. Interested in learning more about making good choices for yourself, others, and the universe on and off the yoga mat? Hi, this is Grace one of Beth's awesome kids. And I want you to know that my mom's resources and programs with Yoginos, Yoga for Youth, have your back. Be amazing and check out the trainings, award-winning bilingual resources, licensee program, and one-on-one -on -one coaching opportunities with my mom, Beth, at yoginos.com. That's Y-O-G-I-N-O-S.com. Now back to you, mom. Thanks. Welcome back to the Oh Amazing Way. I'm Beth Reese, and I'm here with Alan Steelman today talking about the accessibility of being mindful, of looking at what your distractions are in life, and really being with them, and then also finding out what your magic is, what your calling is right here in front of you. So really pull this information to you. Uh, be really listening for what resonates with you and how you can complete this, listening to this podcast or watching, and just start to go out and make a difference in your daily life. So speaking of making a difference in daily life, Alan, I, I kind of get that you're managing a lot in your life and that you might have some tools up your sleeve for how you stay so calm and steady. I'd love it if you would share one of those with us. Okay, well, we are, all of us are living in the most stressful, anxious time in the history of mankind. The, the uh, number of casualties from stress-related deaths over the past 12 months are just staggering. 
88,000 died from alcohol-related incidents, 72,000 from opioids, and 44,000 suicides. Now, when you add all that up, that's the equivalent. Listen, the equivalent of 10 737 airplane crashes per week in America that are all deaths from stress-related. So this is life of the digital age. It is life in uh, what I call the ASAP lane, the anxious, stressed, addicted, and pressured lane. So how do we cope without the false wizards that we talked about in the, uh, in the first segment? Well, uh, Beth has talked a lot about mindfulness, mindfulness being the umbrella term for both yoga and meditation. So here's some things that I do. So if you live in a, a large urban area, as I do and as Beth does, just driving becomes an anxious and stressful event. Now, what do most of us do? We get in, we turn on the radio, turn to some news program. That right there raises a stress level in the car. And then we're trying to uh, move our way in and through traffic and people are you know, flipping us the you know, one finger Boy Scout salute out the side window. So I have started mindful driving. I do not turn the radio on. I put both hands on the wheel. I look at the trees. I look at the blue sky or the rainy sky, if it's raining that particular day. I look at everything around me as a way of trying to just be here now. And that's the magic in breathing, is to, is to get out of our regrets of the past, out of our worries about the future, out of our worries about our shopping list, our to-do list, and just to get here now. So mindful driving. Mindful eating is another thing, which most of us sit down and just eat to feed our mouth as opposed to eat to, to enjoy our food and to be in the present moment and enjoy the meal. So I've learned to eat uh, mindfully. Walking mindfully, as opposed to walking uh, along the sidewalk uh, in a take no prisoners mode, meaning I'm gonna get there as fast as I can. I'm not gonna look anybody in the eye, I'm not gonna say hello to anybody. I don't want anybody saying hello to me, get out of my way, which is the way a lot of us do in big cities, is to walk one step at a time, take in what's around you, breathe, inhaling and exhaling on the way. So you can, what, that, those are three ways to cope with life in the city. So it's driving mindfully, eating mindfully, and walking mindfully. And then of course, uh, I, I start out uh, my, there's a regimen, by the way, for some who may have a hard time making meditation a part of their daily regimen, which is the RPM method. Rise, pee, and meditate. <laughs> now, most of us, it's rise, phone, and meditate, right? Pick up your phone. No, not phone, rise, pee, and meditate. So, so if you'll do that, if you will do that, and which is what I do, 30 minutes each morning, uh, which is to breathe deeply and to try to get into the present moment and not get stressed out the minute I wake up by picking up my phone and seeing who's emailed me back and who hasn't. So those are just some of the techniques, Beth. I, I love each of those, particularly RPM. It's so great. Right. And that's, um, that is a practice um, the same way of even, and I just spent, uh, some of you know, seven days on a silent retreat. And I actually use my phone also as my like watch or clock. And what I realized the moment I checked in my phone was I had no, no alarm clock. I had no, there was like so much more than just a phone I didn't have. All that is to say, part of what was so great about this week not having my phone was to really stop from waking up, checking my phone, going to bed, checking my phone. 
And I'll tell you all the research out there, Alan and listeners, about how the the vibration and the lights and the just that the movement that our eyes and body are taking in from the phone and how that impacts our sleep, our focus, all of that. I feel like a little guinea pig because like since separating from my phone more, I'm sleeping better, I feel more calm, I'm present to my kids more. So like RPM, I'm gonna remember that even in terms of like, Right. Uh, you know, just you just don't always have to pick up your phone. You just really exactly. don't. You might exactly. be surprised. Exactly. Great, great. Well, tell us what uh, what's happening in the Alan Steelman world. And so, you have your first first book out, and tell us a little bit about that. And then I just learned this week you're working on your second book. What what can you share about that? Okay, well, I've already talked a bit about the first book, so let me talk about the second book and. We were talking earlier about the agitated mind. There's another term, uh, not original with me, but that Beth and I both heard many times is the monkey mind. And it's what we're born with. And it's it's with us from our first breath to our last breath. And it's that agitated monkey jumping around with, uh, some people say, up to 60,000 thoughts a day. Many of them not even connected to each other, but just ruminations about the past, worries about the future. So. The title of this second book is called Managing Your Monkey, Mind Fitness. So Managing Your Monkey is the title. The subtitle is Mind Fitness. And the second subtitle is Change Your Life and Save Your Life. And Beth and I both know, I just can't, since I started on this whole yoga journey, journey, I can't even count the number of people who have told me it not only changed their lives in many cases, as it did mine and probably Beth's, but I've got a lot of people who tell me it saved their life. You know, they were suicides waiting to happen for various reasons. So this can truly be a life-changing and in some cases even a life-saving um, uh, regimen to take up. Now, what I'm doing in this second book, Beth, just to uh, complete that, uh, that thought is, as opposed to just to focus on yoga and meditation, this is taking the six pillars of well-being, which starts with sleep. And uh, you know, if you, no matter how physically fit you are, no matter how much you meditate, how well you eat, if you're sleep deprived, it negates the benefits of all the rest of them. So sleep is really the foundation of the other pillars. So sleep, nutrition, movement, which includes yoga, cycling, running, walking, uh, whatever you do to move, we have, there's an article yesterday in the uh, New York Times about we've become such a sitting nation at work, at home, watching TV, playing video games. Uh, Beth and you and I were growing up, uh, we were outside playing, running around, getting exercise, having friends, which also leads into the fifth pillar, which is social networks. Loneliness is becoming a huge issue among teens uh, and kids who've grown up with their digital devices and, and have not uh, you know, built the friendships that we all had. Uh, among seniors, it's also uh, loneliness is a huge epidemic. So social networks being the fifth pillar, and then the final one being earthing, we are, are, are grounding, which is getting out, walking around the, the water, the air, the green trees, uh, you know, just being uh, with God's green earth. So those six pillars, sleep, nutrition, movement, um, social networks, and grounding. I... I love that. I love that. And Alan, when, when will I be able to read that? 
Well, it, I'm still writing, so it'll probably be three or four months before it's out. Okay, but all right. Sure. But I do want to underline, for all of you who follow Beth, believe me, what she's telling you, it can truly change your life, if not save your life. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope that everyone will, will really take that to heart, because I cannot tell you how many friends that she and I both have met who will say both those things, or one or the other. Yeah, that's that's so. Thank you, thank you, and and I um, I appreciate that, and really appreciate the work that you're up to, and and it is amazing how how we in our in our daily lives now. Um, and I was thinking about this in my morning morning walk, and thinking about which. Let me just say, I don't necessarily love to get up and go walking every morning, but what I do know is I know how it makes me feel and how to connect to the sounds and the sights and the colors and the movement of the air, like all of it. And I know maybe for some of you that's like, woo, that sounds so woo woo. But it's something that my, actually my doctors have prescribed to me. And I said, can you write that on a prescription pad? Cause like, if, if you don't write, like, you know, right. It has to be like in a prescription pad for me right. to believe. Like I have it in my refrigerator, walk 30 minutes, three times a week or whatever it is. Yep. So, um, but I love what you're saying, and um, and it is so true. The and there's so much science there that just like if you want to build a muscle, you let's say you want to build your biceps, so you lift weights. The research there that practicing this art that Alan is sharing about uh, taking care of yourself and being mindful in the moment, driving, walking, eating, all of that literally grows what's called the gray matter in our brain. So it's like building that bicep muscle. And what it means, um, and there's, there's research and MRI imaging that shows this, is that when that area is building, you have the resilience and ability when you're then under stress to drop into a space of more calmness or just the stress is happening and your brain just has a way to recall and, and not get so hooked in that stress cycle. And just imagine what our lives as a country, as a world would be like if we can learn to feel what it feels like when our body heats up with stress or anger and just kind of invite that for tea, but also really think about the, how we want to cultivate a response and not a reaction. Right. Well, you know, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I mentioned the, the Walgreens in our brain, but we also have... <laughs> Another one, cortisol, uh, which which is good if you're walking through a dark parking lot at night and you look and see a stranger who might want to grab your purse. That's cortisol kicking in, saying, "Get to my car and lock the door and get out of here." But when you're chronically and acutely stressed, the vagus nerve is carpet bombing your entire body from head to toe with cortisol. And science says, doctors say today that 95 percent of all physical ailments and ailments are caused by undigested stress. You know, you, you think about the food we eat and the liquids we drink, our biological process passes that through our body every 24 hours or so. Our emotions, particularly the traumatic events in our lives, get stored up as emotional knots and toxins. I guess you could call that, uh, you know, mental constipation, or whatever you want to call it. But over the years, over the years, when you're carrying around all these stored up traumas, it takes a toll on your, on your physical well-being and can cause cancers and other things. So it really behooves us all to uh, try to start accessing those feel-good chemicals. And one other point, anyone who's listening says, well, God, yoga's weird, or 
it's hard. Predictive men who say, that's not macho enough for me. You know, I can Plus, I'll be embarrassed. I see women doing things I can't do. They can do all these things with their body, put their legs up behind their head and so forth. If you can breathe, you can do this. This is not about doing the pose correctly. It's about calming the agitated mind. So don't worry about the, what the person on the mat next to you is doing. Just breathe and be in the present moment, and you will get the magic of this the way Beth and I and so many others have. Absolutely. And, and the other thing, you know, you mentioned again, that agitated mind, like, here's the thing I know I'm really, and even just recently, like really getting and embracing the mind is going to wander. The mind is going to think that's what it does. And so to think that people who are meditating are sitting and not thinking any thoughts or to, to try it once or twice and be like, my mind keeps thinking, it keeps wondering, this isn't right. working. Right. Like I was, People last night, we were like, we all suck at meditation, you know, quote, air quotes suck. It's the getting, like that, the gift is the moment that when you notice your mind wandering, you're like, there you are, you've left, come on back, right? I saw the Dalai Lama interviewed a week ago. He said exactly the same thing. Now, if the Dalai Lama has trouble with a wandering mind, you know, we all do, because he is the king or the emperor, what do you want to call of the mindfulness? So the Dalai Lama said he's been doing this for 60 years, and that monkey still runs around in his head the way it does with the rest of us. So don't worry if your mind wanders. Just stick with it. And believe me, it is magic. That's right. That's right. Well, Alan, I have so enjoyed being with you today. And I, as your next book launches, please come back. And we can talk about that and hear more of the tools that you're using to um, be present in your own daily life. I absolutely will. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. And to everyone out there listening and watching, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be with me, be with Alan. And as always, remember, be amazing. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining my mom and her guest on The Amazing Way. Hi, this is Cole, Beth's son. And for more information on bringing mental hygiene or mindfulness, yoga on and off the mat, her award-winning bilingual resources, and other programs into your home and school, check out yoginos.com. Be sure to share this podcast, and remember, you are amazing. amazing.